Well, uh, I want to say thank you for coming in a day that was snowy. Um, you know, here I grew up in Chicago and Milwaukee and New York, and, and, and this was something we dealt with all the time. But the longer I live in the southern region of the U.S., the more I, I realize I, I, I kind of like it down here. <laughs> I like the weather down here. And I even like the snow every once in a while. It's, it's, I, I like the fact that Bartlesville has four seasons, and you do get snow. And so I, I, I enjoy that to a certain extent. I'm ready for the spring now. Well, we're going to continue in our series uh, called Money Matters. And this morning, I want to talk about investing in Jesus' kingdom. So I invite you to turn to Luke 16, 8 through 14 in your smartphone or your Bible or whatever, whatever you use these days. I'm sure most of you know uh, this guy's name. Who is it? Warren Buffett. Everybody knows Warren, Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett is really an amazing guy. And uh, he is now worth $88 billion, a lot of money. How did he make that money? Did he invent some trendy new app? Did he uh, start a manufacturing company? Did he start a massive online store? Nope. He, he was an investor. And in 1970, he began Berkshire Hathaway as an investment company where he would buy and sell companies investing in various entities and then selling those entities as a profit. And uh, he quite literally is the most successful investor in all of human history. Berkshire Hathaway has a, a, a huge, um, uh, well, they just got a lot of money. And uh, if, if you are a guy like Warren Buffett, you are, you are a superstar. I mean, you're on the cover of Fortune, Forbes, Business Week, Time, Newsweek, the whole gamut. He is all over the place. In fact, you can buy a signed copy of Fortune magazine with his signature for $2,000. So he is, this guy is a superstar, and he, he has become quite literally the most famous and successful investor of all times. But here's a question. What if you were skilled as an investor in the heavenly realm? What would that look like? Would you be on the cover of Time, U.S. News, and uh, Fortune magazine? Mm, don't think so. Your fame is not going to be measured in terms of no notoriety in pop culture or uh, invitations to Davos for the billionaires meeting. That's not going to happen. Your fame will, however, be measured in God's economy, and you will be a significant person in God's economy. So let me give you an example here at Grace Community Church. We have a member of our church who, about eight years ago, she and her husband went down to Africa, and they visited an orphanage in Africa. As they were visiting the orphanage, they really connected with one particular young woman. And the teacher at this orphanage said to our church member, you really have got a relationship with her. How would you like to help her go to high school? If she goes to high school, it will totally change her life. And she said, well, uh, okay, I'll do it. So she quietly invested $500 a month in this, this young, young girl in order for her to go to high school. And that turned into another opportunity to send another girl to high school and another and another. And pretty soon, she's sending five girls to high school. 
And I, I, I'm listening to the story, and I'm saying, does anybody know about this? She said, no, no. This is just something my husband and I wanted to do, and nobody else knows about this. And I said, that, that's an amazing story. It's an incredible story. So here's a person who is faithfully providing for five young women to go to high school, which will completely change their lives in the country of Kenya. And nobody knew about it. And, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, you've got the Warren Buffetts of the world who are famous and rich in worldly standards. And then you've got the unknown people of this world who are patiently investing in kingdom work, and they are famous and wealthy in heaven. And so the question is, how, how do we get really good at being investors in the heavenly realm? But I got to warn you, if you get really good at it, you're not going to be on CNBC. They're not going to start interviewing you on the Fox Business Channel. It's a humble, patient work, but you are developing wealth in heaven. Let's see, let's see how this works. Here's Luke 16, 8 and 9. And this is the, the tail end of the parable of the dishonest manager. And here's how it goes. His master praised the unrighteous steward because he had acted shrewdly. For the sons of this age are more shrewd in relation to their own kind than the sons of light. He's distinguishing between believers and non-believers. He says sometimes non-believers can be more shrewd in relation to their own kind than believers are. And so he's challenging the disciples. And I say to you uh, as disciples, make friends for yourselves by means of the mammon of unrighteousness that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. He was faithful in a very little thing, is faithful also in much. He was unrighteous in a very little thing, is unrighteous also in much. If, therefore, you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous mammon, who will entrust the true riches to you? And if you have not been faithful in the use of that which is in others, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. What I want to do uh, with this passage is go from the back to the front. Sometimes you, you, can, you, you do that because going from back to front helps you see the punchline. The punchline really is, is the front of the passage. So we'll, we'll start at the back. If you're going to invest in... God's kingdom priorities. You need, to, you need to know something about God. And what you need to know, know about God is he makes absolute claims on your allegiance. And this is really hard. We, we read this. No servant can serve two masters because he's going to hate the one and love the other or hold the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. I think a lot of us wish that he would have softened that a little bit and that he would have said, you know, I mean, come on. You, you, can, you can serve God and you can, you can serve money just put God first. I mean, come on. And Jesus is, is making it absolute. You cannot serve God and money at the same time. And there are some, there are some reasons for this. The, one of the reasons lies in the inherent weakness of our human nature. Notice the word servant. We humans are built to serve someone. We're built to serve something. And the thing that we are built to serve is something that is bigger than ourselves. And we're going to either serve one thing or serve another thing, but we human beings can't really serve two things at once very well, especially God and money. 
And I, I think about this, this poet, William Henley. He says, yeah, you've heard this before. He says, I am the captain of my soul. I am the master of my fate. We like to think we're in control of our service, and we're not because we're humans. And it's very hard for us to serve two big things at the same time. Here's another reason why we can't serve God and money. Um, because both are masters, it suggests that both are all-consuming. Money and God have the power to help us transcend our fallen world. So take a look at this Airbus. This is a big plane. That is a big plane. It's like a double-decker plane. You see the, the two? That's a big plane. And you wouldn't think that thing would get off the ground. But it does. How does it get off the ground? Well, the law of aerodynamics helps us to transcend the law of gravity. And what we, what we see happening uh, with God and money is that both help us overcome the pain of a fallen world. But they do it very differently. Um, if, you, <clears throat> if you have money, you can overcome the pain of a fallen world by buying things. How many of you, don't raise your hand, how many of you have been in a bad mood, you've been depressed, you've gotten on Amazon, and you've shopped, and you pushed buy, and you immediately felt a little bit better? Some of you are raising your hands. I told you not to raise your hands. <laughs> I've, I've done that. I, I, buying, using money does help you transcend your fallen humanity. It does. And whoever said money can't buy happiness was, was, was wrong because money can buy a measure of happiness. But God also gives you the power to transcend your circumstances, and he does it in a fundamentally different way. Money gives you external transcendence. God provides an internal transcendence of the soul. Money provides you with a transcendence that's time-bound. God provides you with a transcendence that is not time-bound. A transcendence that is, is spiritual. That's why God, Jesus said, lay up treasures in heaven. Money can come and go because of the volatility of the markets, whereas God's transcendence is enduring and it's growing. Preoccupation with money gives you a desire for more money. Preoccupation with God gives you more of a desire for God. So both money and God provide the power for transcendence, but they do it in vastly different ways. You cannot serve both in the same sense at the same time. And I think the implication from verse 13 is clear. If you try to serve God and money at the same time, money will win out every time. I'm going to serve God. I'm going to serve money. I'm going to do both. Guess which wins out? Money wins out because it's immediate, it's tangible, it's practical. And when you press buy, you feel good, at least for a time. So let's pause and, and just do a spiritual gut check. How do you know um, where you stand with God and money? Well, look at verse 14. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, were listening to all these things, and they were scoffing at him. They were contemptuous. They were putting him down. Why were they doing that? They were doing that because they were lovers of money. And one of the ways you know that you are trending towards serving money and not God is when you feel contemptuous about the biblical view of money, that there's an eternal focus to it. I hear a lot of believers say, that's, 
That's way off there. That's the afterlife. That's not here. I'm focused on the here. I want to make a difference here. I want to make a difference in this world, like right now, this week, this month, this year. That's good. But if you stop thinking about the eternality of money, that's a sign that maybe you're trending towards serving money and not, not God. The Pharisees were scoffers, and their cynicism was an indicator that they were serving and loving money and marginalizing God. So here's a second thing that we need to know if we're going to invest in Jesus' Jesus' kingdom. You need to know something about the nature of money. And Jesus wants to make a point that our use of money here has a direct impact on eternity there. And so... He says he was faithful in a very little thing. Now, just think about that for a second. He's calling money a very little thing. I'll say more about that in a second. He was faithful in a very little thing, is faithful also in much. He was unrighteous in a very little thing, is unrighteous also in much. If therefore you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous mammon, who will entrust the true riches to you? And if you have not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, who will give you that which is? Is your own. Th- these are really powerful statements about the nature of money. Several observations. First observation is that when he uses the word mammon, and maybe your version doesn't say mammon, but a lot of the older versions do say mammon, mammon refers to money, but it refers to a lot more than just money. The word mammon originally meant that in which one trusts or something material that I rely on. So it does refer to money, but it refers to other things like houses, cars, jewelry, electronic equipment, toys, and so on and so forth. But here's the problem. He adds this little adjective to it called the mammon of unrighteousness, unrighteous mammon. And that that bothers people. Because it sounds as if he's saying money and things are evil, and it's, it's, that's not what he's saying. He's not saying that money and things are evil. In fact, we know from the Bible that money can be used in some profoundly good ways. For instance, Deuteronomy 8.18, I read this last week. It is God who gives you the power to create wealth. Okay, That wealth was a good thing. Uh, in Deuteronomy, because it allowed them to provide for their needs. Proverbs 10, 22. It is the blessing of the Lord that makes rich, and he adds no sorrow to it. 1 Timothy 6, 17. Instructs those who are rich in the present world to not be conceited, but to fix their eyes on heaven. Money in and of itself is not inherently unrighteous. It's neutral. Think for a second about a neutral thing that can be dangerous, a knife. I had the blessing of receiving as a present a set of knives one year. I loved these knives. I sharpened these knives. And one day, I'm cutting onions with these knives, and I slice off the tip of my pinky finger. I cannot tell you how painful that was. I didn't know how painful my little pinky tip could be. I cut off the pad of that finger. Cindy and the kids rush up because I'm yelling. And that, that's not the knife's fault. The knife is a neutral thing. But a knife can be used in some bad ways or dumb ways, <laughs> like, like, I, like I did. 
What he's saying is money is a neutral thing. It can be used in unrighteous ways, and it often is. Here's a second observation. Second observation is that Jesus called our money a very little thing. Now, look, the Pharisees back then thought, that's ridiculous. It's not a very little thing. It's a big thing. And we living, the, living in the year 2019 would probably say the same thing. That's ridiculous. It's not a, it's not a very little thing. It is a very, very big thing. So <clears throat> um, why, does he, why does he call it a very little thing? The reason why is because it's, it's a very little thing in light of eternity. So think about this for a second. So imagine that you have worked your whole life, and at the end of your life, you have accumulated a lot of money. And you're worth $20 million. And you're 65 years old, you're healthy, you've got a long life ahead of you, you've got $20 million. Think, that's fantastic. I'm going to really have a great time. And you live for another 20 years. Died, died at age 85. So you've got, you got, you got 20 years to enjoy $20 million. Sounds like, sounds like a great deal, right? Right? But let's just say, let's just say, that you had $975 trillion. What would $20 million be like in light of $975 trillion? A very little thing. So the $20 million that you have on earth for 20 years is a very little thing in comparison to the reward that you might receive in heaven for the faithful use of your finances which is way more than $975 trillion. Jesus says, the money we have here is a very little thing in light of the financial wealth that you would have for eternity by investing, investing well. Jesus means something else as well. Money is a very little thing, not just in comparison to eternity, but also in comparison to other, other priorities in life like your integrity. So let's say somebody says, I will pay you, I will pay you $10 million to do this one particular immoral act. Just one. Nobody will ever know that you did it, but it's, it's, it's bad. And that's why I'm paying you so much money to do this. Would you do it? Would you do it? Some of you are shaking your head no. That's good. Because money is a very little thing in comparison to your integrity. So when Jesus says money is, is a very little thing, he's saying it's a very little thing in comparison to eternity and a very little thing in comparison to your integrity. So those are the two observations. Now let's, let's put this together. What I'm saying is money, the, your use of money is like the gauges on the dashboard of your car. Why do we have gauges in the car? because we want to know what's going on underneath the hood. We can't see underneath the hood while we're driving the car. And so we have these, these gauges that measure what's happening underneath the hood so that we're able to figure out, our, is, the, is, the engine, is the engine okay? So Jesus says there's a gauge that indicates the health of your entire spiritual life, and it's this. He who is faithful in the little is faithful also in the much. So let's give, me, give you some example, examples. If you are compulsively spending beyond your budget, that's a gauge. And the needle's moving up into the red line. If you are hoarding because you're constantly afraid, that's a gauge. 
and the needle's going up to the red line. If you're in a situation where you're using money to power up on people, that's, that's a gauge. It's a needle's kind of going up there to the red line. How you use money in the present is an indicator of something that's going on within your spiritual life. Use of your money is a gauge of something, something else as well. Um, he was faithful, little thing is faithful also in much. He was unrighteous in a very little thing, is unrighteous also in much. So if I am using my money unrighteously, it reflects a trend about how other things might be going in my life. Then he goes on, he goes on to say, if you have not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? That's an astonishing statement. What he's saying is, the money you have today on this earth is not your money. That's what I argued last week. That, that money is God's money. But what happens is if I use God's money well here, then I get something which is truly my own there, which is the riches that I have invested in, in heaven. That, that's an amazing statement. So the way you use money here is an indicator about my future reward in, in heaven. That's pretty amazing. So the way you, we use money here is a gauge of our of our integrity and a gauge of how we're, how we're treasuring the future life that we have in heaven. So now we get now to the, to the payoff. Here's the payoff. We need to know something about heaven, okay? And here's, here's the amazing thing about money. You can use money here in a way that will transform people for all of eternity. And here's, again, we go back to the beginning. Jesus is now making an application from his parable and the application is, is this. The master in the parable praised the unrighteous steward because he had acted truly. Now, so here's what's going on in the parable. In the parable, um, this wealthy person hired an administrator to manage his affairs. The administrator managed the affairs of this wealthy, wealthy entrepreneur, but he got a little, little frustrated because the guy was making a lot of money. And so the administrator was collecting the bills, and in collecting the bills, he realized, I can embezzle some money off of the profits. And he began doing that. And the manager discovered that he could have this foolproof way of embezzling money. And uh, the master came back, calls for an audit, and realizes that the guy's been embezzling finances. And the manager now knows he's in serious trouble, and he knows he's going to get fired. So here's what he does. What he does is he says, um, okay, debtor number one, you owe 800 measures of oil, 800 gallons of olive oil. What I want you to do is I want you to cut it in half and pay me half of that, and we'll call it good. The next guy comes in. He owes 100 measures of wheat, which is about 1,000 bushels of wheat. It's about nine and a half years' worth of wages. He slashes the price. If you, if you pay it now, slash price, we'll, we'll, we'll call it good. And what the manager is doing is he's making friends with the debtors. So once he gets fired, his friends will help him out, maybe help him find a new job. So the owner returns, does the audit, and the manager gets fired. And the manager says, okay, no, no problem. I am going to go to my friends who I've helped out financially and they'll, they'll give me a job. So it's, it's, a, it's a bad example. And Jesus is using 
a bad example to teach a very good lesson. And the lesson is be strategic in the use of your money so that you impact people in eternity. So let me show you four phases of how you do this. Phase one, he says, make friends for yourselves. What Jesus is doing is he says, I want you to lead people to Christ. I want you to, to disciple people in the faith. I want you to help people grow. That's what it means to make friends for yourselves. It means make friends by leading people to Christ and helping them grow. Uh, it would refer to spiritual coaching and godly mentoring. Some people are going to do this directly. Chuck, you're going to go door to door in Cuba, sharing the gospel. You're going to directly lead people to Christ. Other people do this through discipleship. Other people do this by ministering to the kids in the kids' ministry. But it's, it's direct discipleship and evangelism. Some people are going to do, it, do this in business. Erastus is the city treasurer of Corinth, and Paul gives commands to Erastus about how to live his life so that the city of Corinth is impacted. Dorcas uses her skills to serve the poor. There's a lot of different ways you can do this, but this is about impacting people so that they are transformed for eternity. Make friends for yourselves by the means of the wealth of unrighteousness. Okay, there's phase two. By means of the wealth of unrighteousness. So how do you, how do you use money to build relationships? Well, all of us know that that's part of, part of friendships. I mean, let's say you're developing a friendship with a non-believing friend and you want to take him to the basketball game in Oklahoma City. You're going to spend some money to do that. Let's say that um, you uh, are ministering to somebody on a different side of town and you, just, you find out that a family doesn't have heat for the winter and you, you help them out. You're spending money to create a, a serving relationship. Let's say you want to help kids grow in their faith. You plan a family gathering. That family gathering costs money. It's often true that as you build relationships, expending money is involved within that, within that process. So he's saying, I want you to make friends, that is, have a ministry toward people through the use, strategic use of your money, so that phase three, when that money fails, well, when's that money going to fail? When you die. You're not going to take your money into heaven. You're, you're not going to take all the things that you accumulated into heaven. You came into the world naked. You're going into the afterlife naked. You're not going to take it with you. So your money is going to fail the moment you, you die. So Jesus says something happens when you die, and here's what happens. They may receive you into the eternal dwellings. So remember how I talked about the judgment seat of Christ two weeks ago? Well, here's the thing. You're going to get to the judgment seat of Christ, and Jesus is going to see you and give you your reward, and you will have the material possessions that you invested laid up in heaven there, but there will also be a collection of people there. And that collection of people are the people whom you have either led to Christ or helped mature in the faith, people who you help through the use of your financial resources. I told you about the Grace member who invested in these five women, young, young women in Kenya. Now, let's say those five young women 
have a ministry to just five more women in Kenya. That's 25 people who are going to be right there at the judgment seat of Christ saying, thank you for what you did, right? So there are people in heaven who will say to you, you'll never know what your investment in my life did. But here's what happened. That's pretty amazing. What you do with your money here causes you to have an abundant entry into heaven in the afterlife. And so, in fact, that's even what 1 Peter 1.11 says. For in this way, Peter says, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. Now, you know, Paul taught that it's possible to go to heaven without that abundant, abundant welcome. He taught that. He said in 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 15, that some people will not receive a reward and they will enter into heaven. Um, they'll, they'll be saved, but as, as through fire. That's not an abundant entrance. Peter's talking about an abundant entrance that comes through the receipt of a reward. Jesus taught the same thing. Luke 19, 17, he said to them, well done, good and faithful servant, because you've been faithful in very little, you will have authority over 10 cities. He's talking about abundant reward. Luke 19, eight, uh, 18 and 19, uh, Lord, your mind has made five more. And he says, says to him, you are over, to be over five cities. So it's possible to have an abundant entrance into heaven by the use of our money that caused people to grow in their relationship in Christ. That, that's an amazing thing to, th to, to think about. Think for a second about what it means to have an abundant welcome into heaven. Many years ago, and I, I, I still remember this, uh, wrote, we were watching the 1988 Olympics in Seoul, Korea. We were living in Baltimore at the time. And we were just mesmerized by this particular athlete who was not supposed to do well at all in the Olympics. And she has a burst of energy at the end, and she's running, 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 and you see the cameras following her as she runs. And then she runs through the archway into the stadium, and she was the underdog. And 45,000 people began to cheer wildly that Rosa Moda of Spain is coming through the stadium. How would you like that if you, you run into a stadium and 45,000 people jump to their, 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 their feet and, and just yell and cheer for you? That's an abundant entrance into heaven. And that's what's possible if you use your financial resources strategically to help people come to Christ and grow in Christ. Okay, so let's summarize this. To intentionally invest in Jesus' kingdom mission, you got to know three things. Something about God. He demands total allegiance. Something about money. Money is a gauge of how faithful you are here and how faithful you would be there. And money is also a way of receiving reward. So here's, here's the main idea of the parable. God has given you a portfolio of assets. When you invest them wisely in God's work so that people are transformed, they will greet you in heaven and express gratitude. I just got one, one uh, application today, and the one application is going to be super, super practical. And the application is build a plan to invest and refine that plan. Build a plan, refine the plan. It's really easy to go through life and to not have a, a plan for how you will invest your financial resources in kingdom 
increase. One of the things that we want to make really easy at Grace is for you to be able to follow that plan. And so one of the things that we do is we, we do our giving through PushPay. And PushPay is, is, is a great thing. PushPay is a way that you can give online, and it, it, it makes it very easy for you to steward your regular giving well. So if you wanted to do that at, at Grace, you go to our website, and there's a screenshot of our website, and at the very end it says give. And what you do is you click give, and give will take you to our push pay site that says Grace Community Church, and you can't read it on the screens, but it will ask you if you want to make a one-time gift or a regular, regular gift, and you, you push offering in, then you, you click, and you set up an account, and you're able, to, you're able to give. Now, why do I give that application at the end of this message? Because one of the easiest ways for you to get into the habit of regular giving is to give to your local church, where we are striving to steward that money well to advance the cause of Christ here in Bartlesville, Oklahoma, USA. And it's our privilege as a church to be able to serve uh, very strategically within our city. And so people, honestly, people usually think about a portfolio of giving options. Some give to the local church, some give to parachurch organizations, some give to other worthy organizations. But here's what the, what the statistics say. The stats say that those believers who give to the local church are more apt to give to worthy secular causes in their city than those believers who give to secular causes in their city and don't give to the local church. I don't know why that is, but Robert Putnam brings that out in his book called American Grace, and it shocked everybody. And so different organizations decided to do the same study, and they came up with the same conclusion. And the conclusion is that people who give regularly to the local church tend to be more generous in general, even to worthy secular causes in our city. And there are worthy secular causes in our city, for sure. So if you want to be a good strategic person in the use of your money, this is a great place to begin. It's a great place to begin. Now let's transition to communion. Um, <clears throat> one of the things that we love to do here at Grace is have communion where we can come forward and we can, we can kneel and be humble, and we want to do that this morning. Paul says in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three, I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And he's coming. And he's coming, and we have the privilege of living in light of his return as we take communion. So as, we, as you come, let's just come as you feel led come with a spirit of gratitude. 